You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up on the show today, if you're headed out on the waters this long weekend, we have safety reminders from police. Also on the show, grilling tips from Chef Roger Mooking. And Mark Saltzman is here with advice about back-to-school technology. But we begin with the big story from earlier this week, the data breach at Capital One. Afwaba with Cybersecurity Canada. Well, of course, Canadians across the country have heard about the security breach of Capital One, which has left the personal data of millions of Canadians exposed. How concerned should we be with this security breach? And is this just a part of the downfalls of an increasingly digital world? Joining me to chat today to answer all of these questions and to get insight on this security breach is Victor Beitner, the CEO of Cybersecurity Canada. Victor, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. All right, let's uh, get right into it. So, of course, the security breach that occurred at Capital One, they have put out a statement saying that they believe it's unlikely that the info was used for fraud. Can we truly trust that statement with uh, what has just occurred and the information that we know um, regarding the security breach? Well, they claim unlikely. And the the fact that uh, it was in someone else's hands and they don't know what this person did with it, uh, I don't think we can trust the statement yet. Okay. And so if there was an individual or a company that was a part of the millions of Canadians or maybe even uh, American that was hacked, um, what do they do now moving forward? How long do they monitor their personal information? Uh, Traditionally, uh, companies like this would offer one year of credit monitoring. Um, Personally, I don't think it's enough because... uh, the bad guys know that there may be credit monitoring for a year because that's usually negotiated. And uh, I don't think you should ever stop. Uh, once you've been involved in a breach, you should never really stop monitoring. Uh, you should have some sort of uh, ability to, um, you know, regularly call the, the credit uh, uh, organizations and uh, validate there are no changes to the accounts, uh, and this should be now an ongoing process. And it should be, today, it should, because everything is Internet-based uh, and all our data is out there, um, it should be part of your regular uh, you know, monthly or quarterly um, you know, check. So it should never end now. Okay. It's just, it's just too much. So then, leading up to the next question then, once a person or a company um, is hacked, if you will, um, is their account always in particular always at risk of being hacked again, or is it just one of those one-and-done type of thing, um, as if, hey, you, I don't know, catch the chicken pox, and then you get your vaccine, and then it's over. Um, Is it in that kind of case, or is it something like a cold? You catch a cold, and you're likely to catch a cold again um, if you expose yourself to the elements and you don't take care of yourself. So, like your first analogy, chicken pox, 
uh, anyone that has had chicken pox now catches shingles. They're at risk of shingles. So uh, it will happen again, and it will. It's. Uh, I, I think you can't stop. Um, you know, you can't stop protecting yourself. Uh, usually, when a, when a hack like this, um, because you are now a potential target for uh, cybercrime, uh, you should be, again, changing your passwords, even though they weren't affected. Uh, you should have a regular hygiene of your uh, information, again, the changing your passwords, using strong passwords like any breach, um, just to make it a little bit more difficult for the next breach to happen. Uh, that's really all you can do. You know, it's uh, the password changes, uh, security hygiene. Uh, quite often, uh, people will be fished into sites and give up their information because they think it's, you know, it's legitimate. And after a breach like this, uh, you'll probably see a lot of phishing attempts, uh, basically bad guys, uh, telling you, you know, we, uh, you know, we know you've been involved in this Capital One breach, which you may or may not have, but it doesn't matter anymore because it's out there and everyone will assume the worst. And they'll say, listen, we have to uh, reset your account. Uh, can you give us the information required? And then, you know, most people will be suspicious. Some will give up their information. And if they don't get it the first time and they see there's, uh, you know, an opportunity with the individual, then they'll try different approaches. Okay. And um, are we now hearing more about security breaches because of the mandatory data breach disclosure regulation? Uh, the breaches, we do have mandatory uh, breaches, uh, breach notification or disclosures, uh, but it's really up to the organization to decide what is, what they consider considerable harm. And if they decide it's very low risk, very low harm to, to the breached individuals, uh, they may not disclose it in Canada. But they have to, depending on the severity, they have to report it to the privacy commissioner. And then if they prove negligence, then we have now uh, fines. You know, and you have to prove the negligence. But uh, I don't think we're seeing more. In, we're not seeing uh, what we should be seeing in Canada for disclosures. Um, there's still, uh, we know of many cases where um, they're not being disclosed because at the time they don't see any any harm to the individuals, in the short term at least. So we won't see it unless, you know... Uh, our laws are a little bit more stringent and we have um, more accountability. You know, I could throw out all these, these buzzwords, but the bottom line is uh, our regulations have to be tougher uh, because if some event like this happens, there should be an investigation and then they have to decide, well, could they have spent an extra dollar to lock this down uh, or $20 to buy a new lock 
uh, and they didn't, and this caused the breach, then, um, you know, that's what we're left with. Hmm, those are sort of, uh, that was quite interesting that you just mentioned that there. I don't think most uh, residents know that uh, the, it's up to the organization to disclose that information if they find that it is um, harmful to them, essentially. And if they don't, they can withhold that information. Yes, that is the case. It's, it's basically what is considered considerable harm. Interesting. Okay. All right. So then let's bring it back to the uh, everyday consumer. Uh, now that this uh, security breach has taken place uh, and you've just mentioned that we're, they're, they're human at the end of the day, things like these are likely to occur. What can individuals then do to maintain the best security on their personal accounts and their information? Um, it comes down to uh, hygiene. Um do not use your passwords, the same password in multiple locations, because uh, once they get information about the person, they will try those passwords on different accounts. Uh, so you should have uh, use a password manager to make sure that uh, every password you use for every site you log into is different and let it generate a strong password for you. The stronger the password, the less chances the bad guys are going to be able to figure it out. Um, they should, because of all the breaches, like you said, Equifax and Capital One and, and who knows what other that haven't been disclosed that happened in the past, uh, we should be more aware of our credit. You know, we should be checking our, our credit history or credit scores on a regular basis. Um, that's really, and it should be an ongoing process and not say, you know, I just changed my password, I'm good, and that's the end of it. Um, it should be done um, when you hear about a breach and you may have been somehow uh, involved in it um, indirectly, but not quite involved, but, you know, your information may have been shared to the organization somehow. Um, I would you know, be on the safe side and, and go through the whole process of changing uh, passwords and, you know, going through that process again. Uh, so let's say maybe about uh, every three months, maybe change the password. And then in terms of monitoring your credit every month, uh, one to three months, would that sort of be a, a, re a good regular hygiene? Um, well, you know what? Uh, one of the standards we're looking at changing um, as a certification body, we're, we're following the uh, Cybersecurity Center's uh, new, uh, new rules or recommendations on security. And uh, traditionally, enterprises would you know, force uh, people to change their passwords on, you know, every three months. And it causes other issues because people forget their passwords. They may write it down. Uh, they may write it down until they memorize it, and then the password is out in the clear on a piece of paper, under a keyboard, or whatever. It's in a place where it shouldn't be. It should stay in their head. So now the recommendation is uh, to actually change the password when you think there may have been a compromise that you may have been involved in. That's when you do it. If you suspect a compromise, a breach, then that's the time where, where you should change your password. And for the credit monitoring, 
Um, the more, well, you don't have to go crazy with it, but the more often you do it, the better it is. You know, you want to catch something fairly early before any damage has been done. So once a month is probably reasonable. Okay, fair enough and great points. And finally, before I let you go, Victor, if you could just talk to us about uh, Cybersecurity Canada and where can residents, of course, go for more information? Uh, we deal mostly with uh, corporate. Um, our company, uh, we do testing. We, we offer compliance services to a new uh, formal uh, certification that is going to be announced by um, Minister Baines from uh, I said, which was known as Industry Canada for the older generation. Um, so we're waiting for a formal announcement on this new program, and we are one of the uh, six Canadian certification bodies that will uh, test organizations to make sure that they're uh, cyber secure. And we have a website, uh, www.cybersecuritycanada.com. My contact information is there. And if you look up my name on LinkedIn, Victor Beitner, you'll also see um, everything about me and about what we do. Perfect. Victor, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, giving us some great tips and information on how to best protect ourselves uh, in this increasing uh, digital world, especially when it comes to security breaches with our data. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. If the student in your household needs a few back-to-school tech tools, Galit Solomon is next with expert advice from Mark Saltzman. We're back on the feed to talk all about technology with tech insider Mark Saltzman. On last week's edition of The Feed, Mark discussed when parents should be introducing technology to their kids and how to moderate their use of technology. Well, this week, Mark is discussing what technology is appropriate for different levels of education and the difference between wanting and needing tech. Okay, so let's talk about some of this uh, technology, and maybe we'll begin, you know, at the uh, post-secondary level. What sort sure. of gadgets should parents at this point be be looking at, you know, from sort of the basic to, you know, if your kid is really interested and perhaps the programs that they're in involve more technology? Uh, give us a bit of a range there. Yeah, so definitely there's the nice-to-have and then there's the need-to-have. Mm-hmm. And I think a computer and hopefully a laptop because it gives you portability and wireless connectivity, a, a, a laptop is a must-have. Like this is a, a device that you're going to use in school. Uh, it's a full-size keyboard. It's, it's more comfortable in order to, uh, to create content with, whether it's Windows or Mac or Touch or non-Touch, laptop or a stationary desktop, that all boils down to personal preference and mm-hmm. budget. Um, but I definitely think a, a computer on the, I think for almost every age, but certainly post-secondary, they're going to, the, the kids are going to want something that they can bring to the lecture hall, then to the library, then back to the dorm room. So a lightweight laptop with a solid battery life is, is my recommendation. That's the must have. For the nice to have, uh, and then maybe a smartphone, also for safety. You know, mm-hmm. if kids are walking alone on campus, it's nice that they have a device on them uh, just in case of emergency that they can contact, you know, 
heaven forbid, but that, that is something that I keep in mind as well. And then the sort of nice-to-have gadgets, if you will, are, are things like um, smartwatches where you're notified on your wrist that, you know, a, an assignment is due or you have to go to this uh, room on this, uh, at this time for a, a class or for some extra help. You know, it's nice to have a little gentle vibration on your wrist that reminds you to do things to help stay organized. But mm-hmm. that, again, is a nice-to-have, you know, whether it's an Apple Watch or, a, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think uh, uh, video chatting is nice as well, if you're, especially if you're away from home, so you can keep in touch with those who matter, you know, mom or dad or the, their, your friends and other mm-hmm. family. That's often built into the laptop or into the smartphone, but uh, not something that's mandatory. It's just nice to have because it's better than a, vo- a, a regular voice call, you know. And plus, parents can also, you know, as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. You can see <laughs> what your kids look like if they're away at school, if they're, you know, and, uh, you know, often you don't get that information on a regular phone call. So, yeah, I think a, a laptop is certainly important for students uh, of any age, but especially in college and university. Okay. Speaking of some of the other ages, let's uh, move down to secondary school and the kind of tech that uh, that would be useful and, and helpful. Yeah. So high school, for sure, a laptop again. And, and again, a tablet would also fall into that nice to have. Uh, some kids prefer a very lightweight device that they can bring to class, and then they sometimes use their fingers on the virtual keyboard to type notes, but often there's a lot of mistakes there. So if you are going to use a tablet instead of a laptop because you like having something that's less than a pound and super slender, then at least invest in a an inexpensive uh, physical keyboard that wirelessly communicates with the tablet. So you're kind of turning it into a laptop, if you will, and that will help you just take better notes during uh, school. So definitely, um, you know, a laptop or if all else fails, a tablet with a keyboard, a physical keyboard, I think is important. Something to keep your notes nice and clean. In terms of software, you know, I think that uh, for all ages, a lot of kids are now using cloud-based solutions. So it always saves what they're working on and they can access those files from anywhere. So I'm talking about like the Google Docs, Google Classroom, or, you know, uh, like a Microsoft OneDrive. They, this, this, you know, they can work on their, their stuff. And it's nice to have an offline version should you need it in case the, the Internet goes down or you don't have access where you are. Um, you know, you won't be without your files. Mm-hmm. So a, a hybrid solution of both an online and offline solution to, to, you know, for word processing and spreadsheets and presentation creation and all that. And if you are specializing in something at the high school level or post-secondary that requires more horsepower, like maybe you're in video editing or animation or video game design, then you will need a lot more of a powerful laptop with a better graphics processor and better uh, regular CPU, regular uh, main processor, uh, and extra storage and extra system memory. So it depends on your tasks, but for most people, for 99% of the time, you know, a regular computer with modest performance is, is all you need for things like social media and word processing and email and so on. Okay, and then finally, the um, I guess the most controversial of the groups, because this is the one where everyone tends to have an opinion, elementary school uh, students, are there certain gadgets, or I shouldn't say gadget, but technology and tools that, whether it's starting at grade one, but really going up to grade eight, that kids should be, should have access to and be aware of? Yeah, so I don't think that, you know, it's going to be mandated 
um, where we are, you know, to, that you need to have a smartphone at this age or you need to have a computer. I do think a computer is a lot more uh, important, especially at the younger ages. I don't think they need to, you know, even though the kids may tell mom and dad otherwise, they don't really need a smartphone. But again, every situation is different. There could be a lot of, you know, single parent families uh, or dual income families, and they want the peace of mind knowing that they can reach their kids at any time. You know, maybe they're latchkey kids and they walk home after school. They want to know that they can contact them on their smartphone. And that's a, a bit of a different story. Mm-hmm. But I, I, so I, I get that. But I think, uh, academically speaking, a computer is probably the only thing you'll need. I don't think you need a tablet for school. It's more for fun at that age. Um, similarly, a smartphone, a smartwatch, those are all very optional, but I think at the younger ages, the primary grades, I, I think a computer is, is all you need. And make sure it's a comfortable one because, you know, they've got small hands and they want to be able to, to use it comfortably and to use a mouse and make sure that they're not, you know, uh, they, we call it ergonomics, like how you use your technology isn't hurting your posture, your your body. Uh, so just to, you know, keep a nice, bright-lit room, keep it, in my opinion, for younger kids, keep the computer in a central place in the home, a highly trafficked area, so you can also keep an eye on where they're going online, if you, under, if you understand right. what I'm yeah. getting at, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, just make sure that they're not hunched over, and you know, it's going to be part of what they are going to need as an adult, so yeah, there's, uh, in- encourage them to be comfortable with technology, but no doubt they don't need that encouragement, they just will be. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah, it's, it's all around them, right? So, oh yeah, are- it's a second nature. You know, they call us digital immigrants, those who had to learn about this new digital world and, and adapt to it. And then they are the digital natives yeah. where they just grew up with this technology and it's super intuitive and they don't even see it as tech. It just, you know, it just works. It's and part they of get life. It. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much for your input and your insights. Really great advice. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care. You too. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to 1059theregion.com for replay. If you have barbecue plans this long weekend, Chef Roger Mooking to the rescue. Chef Roger Mooking may be best known as the host of the grilling and barbecue show Man Fire Food, Man's Greatest Food, an everyday exotic on Cooking Channel in the U.S., as well as Cooking Channel and Food Network in Canada. Now, we know that it is the summertime and everything in terms of food is happening right now. One specific thing we're going to be talking about is grilling. I know I'm not that great in it. I'm now speaking with the best person that we can uh, speak with in terms of getting the best tips to make sure we get the best grilling tips forward for the rest of the summer. Chef Mooking, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. How are you, Appa? You know what? I cannot complain. I am just hungry and ready to get this interview rolling. So um, let's get right into it. What kind of special ingredients do you use that we can also take advantage of during this summertime? There's only a couple of weeks left for this summer. Yeah, well, you know what's amazing is during the summer months is the ripe season, excuse the pun, for grapes from California. From May to you get the best for your grapes. And it's although unusual and unexpected, yes, you can snack on them. Yes, you can put them in the freezer, but you can also cook them in savory dishes. And it particularly works really good on the grill. Okay, let's just take a pause right there. You said grapes, right? Yeah, yeah, grapes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> so how did you come up with this? How did you uh, find this out that you can you can grill grapes? 
Well, I love experimenting with food. You know, if you look at cultures all over the world, they cook with grapes. You know, you go to Persia, they cook with grapes and savory dishes. You go to parts of uh, France, they cook in savory dishes with grapes. Uh, you go to Portugal, they cook with savory dishes with grapes. So if you kind of look beyond the borders of North America, you'll see that a lot of people, a lot of cultures all over the world are cooking with grapes and savory dishes. So I want to kind of bring that to light. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. I feel like I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy like a whole bunch of different colored grapes and just throw them <laughs> on the grill. But let me just ask you first, then, is there maybe a specific way that we should grill them? You don't just throw them on the fire and just let it burn? I, I assume not. Well, yeah, no, you definitely, you know, a lot of common mistakes people do when they're cooking over the fire is they crank it up too high heat because they're hungry. They want to eat right away. But you got to learn like the medium temperature range, you know. Fall in that medium temperature range. What I like to do is skewer my grapes with alternating pieces of chicken that have been marinated with marjoram, oregano, olive oil, salt, pepper. Get those cooked on the grill on the skewers. By the time the chicken is fully cooked, because I've made them just a little bit larger than the grapes, the grapes have just blistered. They've rendered some of their juice. They've been basting that thing while it's cooking, and they've concentrated the natural sugars and picked up a little bit of a smoke. So you're adding a lot of layers of flavor and then when you bite into that chicken skewer and, you know, you get that familiar flavor, then you get that pop of the grape on top of it. And you're not expecting it. And really, everyone who's had it really, really enjoys it, you know? Can you come here, please? <laughs> so we can just get these things going. I'm hungry already. You're killing me. Okay, um, let's... Um See, what else, apart from grapes, of course, that's something so unique. Um, you, in particular, you have some delicious dishes that you make. You Can can you tell us a bit about them and, while I catch my breath a little bit? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, like those grape skewers I mentioned with the white barbecue sauce that have grapes in it as well. But also, you know, the freeze grapes, they work really good as a good, you know, healthy snack. And I make like a tapas dish with it. So you get some cheese, some salami, you infuse olive oil with some spices. You mix those with the grapes and some Marcona olives. Before you know it, you got a great snack to go with some crusty bread. Or you make a pulled pork taco. You know, you braise and shred that pork, mix that sauce into it, top it with the grape salsa, and it's very, very simple. And it's a unique way to add uh, interesting flavor in a familiar way and with unfamiliar dishes, you know, making those combos. So it's a good balance. Oh, man. <laughs> what else do I even say after that? All right. Okay, so those tacos, they sound delicious already. So imagine if somebody makes all of these wonderful dishes, um, but, you know, there's that little X factor in terms of entertaining guests for the summer. What's your secret for summer entertaining? You know, I like to keep it simple, but also add a, a wide array of stuff. So I may, like, take tomatoes and just simply grill them and char them and just put them on a platter with some picked fresh herbs, you know? Uh, but I'll also do potatoes, I'll do fish, I'll do a chicken. And I, I prepare them very simply, but I like the kind of uh, uh, a spread of different things. And I can put the, the chicken in and then put the fish in in the last 15 minutes. They'll come out hot at the same time. I can cook other stuff in the oven or on the grill outside very conveniently and efficiently. So it's a good way of feeding a lot of people in a short time. For sure. Okay, so when you're not entertaining people or feeding people, of course, uh, we know that you're a busy man, of course, with the television shows. Talk to us about um, your TV series and um, you're just how you're coping with it all. Yeah, well, it's pretty cool. You know, I got Manfire Food. That's, uh, we just shot season eight in Bagdose and you're seeing those. There's Man's Greatest Food that you're seeing now uh, in America on Cooking Channel. So that stuff is cl clicking along. 
Um, and I just released an album called Eat Your Words. You can find it on every streaming platform. So if you're looking for information on my projects, you go to rajamukin.com. If you want some recipes with some of these grapes uh, from California that I'm working on, you go to grapesfromcalifornia.com and check those out. Well, that's awesome. Okay, so that now you're a recording artist, too. How did you, you know, get the time to also chase that part of your dream? Because you have uh, so many different visions that you're living out right now. How would you how did you find the time to also, you know, put out that new record in terms of Eat Your Words? Uh, well, it's like my fourth studio album right now. So I always find time to make records. It's part of the matrix of what I do. It's, you know, you see it less frequently because when I'm old up in the studio, I'm not necessarily sharing that information all the time. And, you know, television shows, you see that all the time. So it's, it's a visual medium like that. But the music, it just kind of comes out and it's filling your eardrums. It kind of sneaks up on you. So I'm always working on music, always working on shows, projects, recipes, cookbooks, different ideas, restaurants. So I'm just making things out here, you know. I love it. All right. Always keeping busy and the jack of all trades. You can't even say that you're the master of none. It seems like you've mastered all of the different trades that you're doing. So my hat's off to you. Uh, where can residents go for more info um, in terms of recipes? As you just mentioned, we just want to plug it in one more time. If you want to see these recipes with the grape recipes, go to grapesfromcalifornia.com. If you want to learn more about me or follow up on any of my projects, go to all the social media, but also rogermooking.com can feed you and put you in the right direction for all that stuff. Awesome. Roger Mooking, Chef Mooking and uh, residents, if you say that you can't be grilling, he's just giving us some best tips right there. And uh, you know what? Get on it. There's still a couple of weeks left of some beautiful summer temperatures. Why not try grilling up some grapes? I know I'm about to go to the grocery store and buy myself a bunch of grapes right now. Chef Mooking, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Alpha. Next on the feed, this long weekend, we move from the grill to the water. And a few reminders to stay safe. Sydney Bourguignon is next with the Simcoe Police Marine Unit. We're in the midst of summer, which means a lot of people are kicking back and relaxing by the water, maybe even taking the boat out for a spin. But are we thinking about our safety when doing so? Joining us today on the feed is Carl Jarvis from the Simcoe Police Marine Unit. He's here to provide us with some safety tips while on the water. Thanks for joining us today, Carl. Hi there. So can you start off by telling me what the Simcoe Police Marine Unit does? So the Simcoe Police, we're responsible for, the, uh, for a portion of Lake Simcoe as well as our other policing partners uh, with Barrie and uh, York Regional Police. In particular, we, uh, we're responsible for the shorelines of the Innisfil and Bradford communities, and we also uh, extend our area down into the Holland River. However, with that being said, uh, policing on Lake Simcoe is a little bit different in that there's really no boundaries to speak of. So uh, with only the few, uh, the few vessels that are out there, policing vessels, we typically extend our area and, uh, you know, we, we cover most of Lake Simcoe if required. And have you had to respond to calls or incidents that could have been easily avoidable had people taken the time to follow certain safety measures? Absolutely. I think probably... I would suggest a, a very high number, almost to the extent of 90-plus percent of uh, all incidents that we've investigated out there that were serious and or could have been very serious, uh, could have easily been avoided just by a simple safety check before you head out. Take the time to go over your safety equipment. Make sure you know where it is. Make sure you have enough life jackets. You know, have, have you taken the time to do uh, any kind of safety plan before you left uh, in terms of did you even tell anyone 
uh, where you were going. Simple things like that that can really avoid a tragedy uh, at the last second. Um, you know, it's it's just taking that time to go over things with people, and even a, even a small simple thing is having a having a charged cell phone with you. Uh, so that you can contact us or contact someone if you really do run into trouble. And would you say there's a call that you get most often in the Marine unit? Probably the most often or the, the biggest calls that we get um, or the ones that we get more often are the ones uh, where people have uh, either run out of power or they've run aground somewhere. So to run out of power is typically something that they just didn't plan ahead uh, they went out, they listened to the radio all day. They weren't aware that, you know, by doing that, it's going to kill the batteries. And next thing you know, the, uh, their vessel won't start. Uh, you know, that's, that's easily avoidable by just simply making sure that your, your boat has enough power for what you really want to do for that day. The second thing, you could also easily avoidable, uh, you know, if you're running aground somewhere, typically it's because you don't know the lake. Uh, if you don't know the lake, you also have a, an obligation as a mariner to have some kind of uh, chart on board that would indicate to you where, you know, hazardous areas are on the lake. What would you say is the most common safety precaution that is often ignored by people? For example, are people not wearing life jackets? Is it drinking on boats, anything like that? So the biggest safety measure that's always, or not always, but often ignored is, uh, is people typically have enough life jackets on board. But the thing is, is that, that life jacket really doesn't help you at all if you fall overboard. So we really urge people to, to wear those life jackets. Uh, in the event that you go overboard, if, not, if there's no one available there to help you uh, and throw you a life jacket or some kind of life-saving device, having that, that uh, PFD sitting in the, uh, in the bow or you know, even right beside where you were in the vessel is really of no use to anyone now that you're in the water. In addition, drinking on the water, uh, if you're going to go out and you have the, and you have met the proper requirements for having alcohol on your boat and that you have a, uh, you know, a bathroom or a head uh, within your, within your vessel, permanent cooking and sleeping facilities and you are attached and basically at ground or at anchor, uh, that's fine. But keep in mind that at some point, as soon as you lift that anchor and you have to head out, uh, you have to be sober, uh, in terms, if you were to get stopped and uh, you failed either an alcohol screening device or you just exhibited extreme signs or any signs of impairment, you could be arrested for impaired operation of a vessel. And uh, with that, it would uh, carry the exact same penalties as if you were operating a motor vehicle on the highway impaired. So you mentioned life jackets and how they're not very effective if they're just sitting somewhere else on the boat. So then you're suggesting that everyone should wear a life jacket at all times on the boat then? We'd like to suggest to everyone, you know, the law says that all you need to have is have that life jacket available typically unless you're, uh, you know, if you're in some kind of personal watercraft or something like that. Uh, so if you have that, that life jacket available and you've, just met the minimal requirements of the law for having a life jacket on board for yourself and everyone else on board, that's great. But what we'd really like to suggest to everyone is that life jacket should be on. Uh, and we try to lead by example as well. When we're out in the water, uh, we always have our PFDs on. You know, PFDs at today, they're not like they were uh, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, the manufacturers have really got out there and tried to make these PFDs to be more comfortable 
so that people can actually wear them all day. And what can parents do to help warn or protect their kids when swimming or even boating? The biggest thing a parent can do is take the time and watch their kids. Always be within an arm's length of your your child at all times. Uh, Drowning isn't typically what most people would think. It's usually not a big panic attack uh, by people. It's a very silent killer almost, and uh, in the blink of an eye, someone can disappear, and if you're not paying attention, that's all it would take. And if we can just go back to boating for a second, um, should people be having first aid kits or any safety kits uh, on the boat? Absolutely. I'd always recommend, uh, you know, more is always better. So even though you may meet the minimal requirements, uh, it never hurts to have a safety kit on board. Uh, you know, in the event of, of some type of emergency, any first aid that you can immediately do at the scene is always better than uh, than not. And if you can just tell me any other water safety advice you might have that maybe we haven't even touched upon yet. Uh, is there anything that's just as important as life jackets? A lot of things we also get out on Lake Simcoe are, are people just aren't prepared for the weather. Uh, Lake Simcoe can typically change very quickly. It's a fairly shallow lake in parts. And with those changing weather conditions, it can uh, it can really change the uh, the seas there, if you will. So, we urge people to check ahead, plan your trip, uh, make sure that the weather is going to be okay, and always file that safety plan or or at least tell someone where you're going for the day. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for joining us on the feed. If listeners wanted to find out more information about water safety or the marine unit, is there a place that they can go? Absolutely. They can contact any marine unit that uh, works on Lake Simcoe for sure or any marine unit within any any police service in Ontario. In addition, you can also pick up any any kind of information off the Transport Canada uh, website. Uh, There's lots of information on there that uh, could uh, be beneficial to everyone. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day. This is the feed on 105.9, the region where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including a trip to STEM mines in Aurora. Jim Lang with the story. Something really cool in York Region is called STEM Mines. They're located in Aurora. You can find their website at stemmines.com. And believe me, as someone who has a daughter about to matriculate from high school into university in the STEM stream, this is something near and dear to my heart. And Extremely important for the future of Canada. Thrilled to be speaking to the program director of STEM Minds, Samantha Smith. Samantha, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Well, no problem. It's my pleasure. I mean, our daughter is going into the sciences, biology, and university in the fall, and a lot of her girlfriends are doing the same thing. Uh, Tell us about STEM Minds and how it got started. Sure. So uh, STEM Minds, really, at its core, um, is on a mission to create the next generation of uh, leaders, problem solvers, and game changers. Um, And we do that through uh, what we call fearless learning. Um, So really what STEM Minds is all about is empowering uh, youth through STEM to be able to discover their passions and use that knowledge of technology um, and different STEM concepts to really change their future. Because really, at the end of the day, um, you know, kids and youth are the future, and so what we're trying to do is empower them with the skills that they need to be successful um, for our new 21st century world. Uh, So STEM Minds uh, was started by um, 
our founder, Anu Badani, um, and Anu has about 25 years in corporate banking experience, um, and so she always tells us the story of she was looking through resumes of um, new hires and new interns who are coming out of university, and uh, looking at their resumes, she kind of had this realization that the uh, skills that her, her young sons um, were building or were, were not building, um, like there was a disconnect between the skills that her, her young sons had and the skills that she was looking for in that sort of industry. Um, so being uh, the fearless leader that she is, um, she decided to do something about it. Um, and STEM Minds was kind of born out of that need and seeing that gap of, uh, of skills that, that kids need and, and skills that um, the workforce is, is basically looking for. Um, so, yeah, so compared to, to other programs that her sons have been into, she had a very clear um, idea and direction of how she thought that um, STEM and, and how we can empower kids through STEM should uh, should look like and what that program should look like. Um, and, yeah, the, the rest is history. We've been around for about uh, three years now um, and have no signs of slowing down. So <laughs> That's great. I would imagine, Samantha, that if you build the foundation young with a lot of these young boys and young girls with STEM, it removes the stigma about science and technology and that kind of thing. And then they don't have that the fear of getting into those that STEM stream as they go through high school. Absolutely, and that's absolutely the case. We actually see quite a lot um, in our own programs. Um, the ratio of uh, like male and female students um, is usually more equal in the younger age group. Um, so our programs actually start at age four, um, and we find that in general there's a lot more girls who are in that sort of younger age group because those biases haven't necessarily kicked in yet. Um, by the time you reach sort of like age 11 or 12, um, some of those social bias and, and social sort of stigmas um, start to kick in. And so at, at that age group, on sort of the other side, uh, for, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old students, um, there tends to be a lot more males than females because those there still is this sort of bias about, you know, what STEM is. And I think a lot of it, it comes down to... STEM is talked about a lot, but um, there's still sort of that question of, like, what what does that really mean or what does that really look like? So for us, it's about making those connectors um, for the students so that, you know, this is what STEM is, or this is what the technology is, but also how you can apply it to a real-world context. Because for students and learning, um, you know, if they don't have some sort of real-world context or something to connect it to, then it's just kind of fluff so you got to make it real for them if it's something that's going to stick is it is it possible through programs like this i know there was the big bang theory in television but to to help kids make stem seem cool and so they're oblivious to that stigma that if people try to put some labels on they're like well i don't care i'm just going to do this because i like it Absolutely, I think so. And uh, part of what makes us, um, you know, so strong is that we have a very strong team. Um, and our team is half Ontario certified teachers like myself um, and half STEM professionals, so people who have studied uh, engineering, computer science, mathematics, things like that. Um, and most of us are, uh, you know, 
great role models of fearless learning ourselves. Um, so like myself and uh, one of my colleagues that I work closely with, Nicole Myers, we're both teachers, um, primary junior certified. Nicole's background is in English. My background is in visual arts. Um, and yet here we are teaching kids about robotics and coding and doing it ourselves. And so I think that um, for, for students and especially youth, it's very important for them to have role models that they can, can relate to. And so something that we are very passionate about at STEM Minds is being those role models and showing them that, you know, if you like something, if you have a passion for it, like, that's okay. We're going to help you foster your passion. And it doesn't, you know, not, no one can really tell you, like, you should or shouldn't go into this program because of, um, you know, whatever sort of social bias that might exist. Um, it's really about finding your passions, finding how you can leverage them and, and encouraging the kids that, you know, their, their skills are unique and this is how we can um, apply them to do something really good in the world. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Thrilled to be speaking with Samantha Smith, the program director at STEM Minds based in Aurora. And I would think that if we're halfway through summer, what are some of the other summer and fall programs that parents are listening thinking, I would like my son or daughter to be part of this? Sure. So we, um, we're currently running our summer camps. So we're about halfway through our camp season. It's going great so far. Um, so we run camps all the way to the end of August. And our camps are a little bit more of an exploratory um, design. So if you have a child who you think would be interested in STEM or seems to uh, really like tech at home, um, camps and programs are a great way to sort of channel that love for tech in a more um, positive and meaningful way. Um, and so our summer camps are a different theme. They explore anything from 3D printing to video game design to robotics. Um, and then in the fall, winter, spring, we have more in-depth programs on a particular topic that uh, run after school about once a week. Um, we're often actually a lot in uh, schools in the region too, so uh, there's a good chance that um, some of the people who are listening might have us uh, or have students who are enrolled in some of our lunchtime and after-school programs. Um, so lots of different different options available, um, and all that information is available on our website, or you can always reach out to us um, for more. And that's stemminds.com, and if we lay the foundation, who knows who might find the next uh, Frederick Banting or Chris Hadfield or who knows what uh, are these great young Canadian minds can produce, Samantha. And that's what makes me excited. I think about my daughter and my all daughter. her girlfriends, and a lot of them are going to the STEM stream or already in the STEM streaming university. And I think that augurs well for the future of Canada as a nation to have all these bright young women getting into these kind of fields. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of times with youth, um, you know, our sort of belief is a lot of times people don't necessarily give uh, kids and youth enough credit for um, the amazing ideas that they have, and we kind of discredit them just because they are young. Um, but in our experience, some of these kids that we've had in our programs, the solutions that they come up with and the amount of um, thought and care that they put into these things that they are passionate about and using tech to uh, really enable that is just astounding. And I know, you know, from my personal experience, that's what I love about, you know, what we do here at STEM Minds and being a teacher is being able to see that and help foster that. Um, it makes you, makes you, you know, confident that they're going to grow up and, and do some pretty amazing things. So, Samantha, thank you for this and thank you for the great work you're doing, uh, helping shape yeah. a lot of these young minds in New York region. It's greatly appreciated on my end. STEM Minds, get more information at stemminds.com. Thank you so much, Samantha.
Thanks, Jim. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Our music coordinator, Christina Lavecchia, wraps up the show next with an introduction to new music from York Region's very own Jacqueline Hanna and Want You. I want you for the sea To your heart Lay with you at night Thanks for being here, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me. You'll be performing your song, Want You, right here in our 105.9 studio shortly. Tell us about the inspiration behind the song. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, with the title being Want You, it's about wanting another person. And it's kind of when you're in the struggle of you want the person, you know they're not good for you but you're still going to do everything in your heart to make it work out because you just want them in the end. Is that drawing from personal experience or is that from... Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah from personal experience. Um, I wrote it when I was a lot younger, so it was about the person back then. Mm-hmm. But I, I was just really torn because I knew that this guy wasn't treating me right. But I was like, you know what, I still want you and I still want everything that comes with you. Are you worried about them hearing the song? Do they know it's about them? or No, they don't know it's about them. Um, and I'm not worried because they would make no reference. But yeah. even if they did, um, I mean, they were the inspiration for it. So it's, it's, I needed them for it. So it's okay. <laughs> as a songwriter, where do you draw your inspiration from? You have other songs as well. Yep. Yep. Um, basically, when sometimes when I'm actually helping other people out and I kind of learn a life lesson myself, I'm like damn like that I should tell myself that and sometimes lyrics come from that sometimes my dad he'll say something inspirational when I'm going through something and I'm like you know what I think this could help somebody else too and overall just personal experiences like what I would want to hear somebody tell me I would tell someone in my song. For listeners who are not familiar with your music how would you describe your sound? I wouldn't say it's pop just because um I don't want my things to sound like every other song. What I want is a distinct sound. I would say it's probably alternative because it's kind of just a nice vibe with uh, just a guitar and pretty much my voice. So yeah, I'd say alternative. You're used to performing in front of large audiences. You're from Aurora and you've sang the national anthem at Tiger Hockey Games and you've done concerts right here in York Region. Do you find your experience on stage is different when performing your own music? It's definitely different because when you're singing those lyrics, those are your lyrics and they're personal and everyone in the crowd gets a little glimpse of what went on in your life or what your inspiration was. So when you're performing a cover, you you are yourself, but you have to be some sort of other performer because you're singing someone else's song, whereas you can really be yourself and your person as a performer when you're singing your own lyrics and it's your own emotion. Have you gotten any feedback um, from anybody listening to your songs, family, friends, or even just fans who are listening? Um, My sister is probably my biggest fan because she loves playing my songs. (laughs) It's really sweet. She'll send me videos in the car. Basically, my friends, they just, they say that, like, they like my sound or my voice and... They always encourage me. They're like, why are you in school for science? You should be singing. And I'm like, I know I love it. But yeah, I'd say my friends are the the biggest inspiration. (laughs) To give listeners a chance to learn more about you outside of the music realm, I'm going to ask you a few this or that questions. Okay, awesome. So summer or winter? 
summer? Do you、uh, enjoy specific activities, or what is it about summer that you enjoy?、Um, I'm I have a cottage up north, so that's been my my life since I could remember. So always being outside, water skiing, swimming, just doing like summer activities is what I love. TV shows, comedy or drama? Comedy. Are there any specific shows you're watching right now? Right now, I'm into Schitt's Creek. It's、um, my dad actually worked with Eugene Levy, and that's why I love it because it's like it's it's almost personal, and it's filmed in Ontario.、Yeah. It's it's filmed in Goodwood and Mono, I believe. And、um, I love Friends. That's just a classic. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually watching the reruns. Yeah, now in loop. Always watching. <laughs> Road trip or cruise? Cruise. Have you been on any cruises? Are you looking forward to any trips? I have not been on any cruises, but fortunately, when I was growing up, my parents were able to take us to a lot of different places. So I've been to Mexico, Jamaica, Cuba, like a bunch of Caribbean beautiful places. What's your favorite? I'd probably say Jamaica because the people were just so kind. And a resort is a resort, but when you have connection and you have、mm-hmm. people around you, and it's a, a different culture, it's really welcoming and nice. Texting or calling? Calling, <laughs> which is、um, a、Ironic. little unconventional. I would、yeah. have thought texting, but it's yeah.、Good. I mean, texting is good for the short run, but honestly, if you want to get a hold of me and I and you're gonna have a proper conversation, <laughs> I'm gonna call you. Early bird or night owl? Night owl for sure. <laughs> so yeah, what's the latest? Let's say. Well, I'm I'm pretty. Picky with my sleep, just because it's it's good when you work out that you get a lot of sleep in, and、mm-hmm. I'm pretty conscious about my health. But I'd say on average, like midnight is is when I when I rest. <laughs> That's when you do your best work, I yeah, guess, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Schoolwork is my most productive hours are in the in the <laughs> evening for sure. Are there any upcoming projects in the works that you could share with us that listeners can look forward to? Well, I'm gonna put on all of my songs onto Apple Music right now. I just have a couple of covers, and、mm-hmm. I want people. To actually hear my original things, so I'm going to work on putting those onto all music platforms, so、mm-hmm. that when people ask for my original things, I can actually be like, "Hey, yeah, you, look, it's on Apple" or things like that. And will "Want You" be one of the songs? Or yep, yeah, it'll be "Want You," and then the other two that I recorded at the same time as "Want You." If listeners want to connect with you online, where can they find you? Probably. My Instagram would be the easiest. It's Jacqueline underscore underscore Fernley, and that's just it's. I'm always posting covers on there, and I mean it's Instagram. I think everyone has it at this point. So, yeah. Thanks. Well, thanks for stopping by and chatting yeah, with us. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm music coordinator Christina Lavecchia. Here's your first listen to "Want You" by Jacqueline Hanna on 105.9 The Region. Lay with you at night till we both see daylight. I wanna hear you breathe. I don't want you to leave. Lay by your side till I feel alright. So baby, for now, stay in my life. Don't wanna fall asleep. 
crying stains into my cheeks Simply cannot put into words what you mean to me Keep coming back for more, I can't let you be I think about you all the time, oh, oh. You're on my mind, you're in my heart I've lost you twice, so baby, for now, stay in my life. I don't need a sweater for the cold, as long as I've got you. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed or have a story idea or a community event to share, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.